a blessing that offertory song was. This morning's passage comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 1 to 8 and 16 to 18. In your pew Bible, that will be found on page 811. Uh, Christ's community, it is our tradition to rise for the reading of God's word. So if you join me. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be, be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Going to verses 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their rewards. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Please be seated and take a moment to reflect on God's word. When you and I listen to this sermon series, the Sermon on the Mount, we're at a, a severe disadvantage compared to the first century audience. And the reason is, is because when they were listening to Jesus' teachings, they were also looking at Jesus. And this might not be a news alert, but today, nobody's looking at Jesus and the reason it's important just for us to remember that 
because what happens so often, especially in a, a teaching section like the Sermon on the Mount, it, it sort of um, moves from seeing Jesus to uh, a conference on Christian character. So it just becomes a series of talks about, well, okay, let's talk about anger and let's talk about lust and let's talk about all these character things. And we want to work on those things and those things are fine, but you can actually miss the teacher by the teaching. And in the first century, it was much harder to do because they're looking at Jesus. And so one of my concerns through the series is as we look at each of these segments Today, when we look at hypocrisy, that we're not just thinking about ourselves and character things that we need to add to our lives or something we need to subtract to our lives. The whole point of the Sermon on the Mount is to get to Jesus. That's the whole point. And so I don't want us to miss Jesus. We don't want to miss the teacher by just being so focused on the teaching. Of course, it can happen in terms of benefits. If you talk about the benefits of knowing Christ. Will you get heaven? Well, that's a great thing, but the greatest thing about heaven is Jesus. And so we don't want to miss Jesus by looking at the benefits or by looking at at his commands. So let me pray for us this morning. Lord, every heart here has a bent, and it, it, it ends up circling back to ourselves. And so when we think about Christian character in the Sermon on the Mount... It's hard for, for, for myself, it's hard for each of us not to, to think that because we're, we're, getting, we're making progress on this, that um, that's all that matters. That what matters is that we're seeing you, we're savoring you, we're, we're more tightly wrapped around in a relationship with you at the end of the teaching than at the beginning. So I pray that this segment that we're looking at this morning... You would help us to see ourselves, but more importantly, uh, to to see and love you and to follow after you. In your great name we pray. Amen. Last week, or the last several weeks as we've been looking at chapter 5, if if you wanted to say there was a theme in chapter 5, you could say Jesus is aiming at the heart. So we open up in chapter 5 and you have the Beatitudes, but really from verse 21 to the end of the end of the chapter, it's just Jesus aiming at the heart. He's trying to get the follower to realize it's not just about external conformity, it's about a transformation in your heart. And so he has this series that happens six different times. You've heard it said, this is how you do it if you're just living an external life. But I say to you, I'm trying to get a transformed life. I'm trying to help you see something internally about yourself. And so he says, it's, it's not enough just to say, well, you know what? I've never killed anybody. You know, there's no parade for that. It, Jesus is saying, let's look at the anger that you have in your heart. Let's try to get from the outside into the inside. It's, it's not enough to say, well, I haven't physically been with somebody other than my wife. I haven't physically committed adultery that's not enough but he wants us to look at the inside the lust of the heart and whether those things are controlling us even if physically we look okay on the outside he's more concerned about what 
we look up, look look like on the inside. So in chapter 5, Jesus takes aim at the heart. And you might say in chapter 6, Jesus takes aim at hypocrisy. So Jesus takes aim at the heart in chapter 5 and chapter 6, actually through verse 6 in chapter 7. Jesus takes aim at hypocrisy. And you see in, in the reading that Mark had for us, it's mentioned three times, this word hypocrisy. Chapter 6, verse 2, again in verse 5, and again in verse 16. So in each one of these vignettes, whether you're giving to the needy or prayer or fasting, Jesus is worried about hypocrisy. And in the Greek, the Greek word hypocrisy means actor. Someone pretending to be somebody that they're not. A, a hypocrite is somebody who puts on a show. And so in this chapter, Jesus is taking a hammer to anybody who says they're following after him. Anyone who says they're in the kingdom of heaven, he's taking a hammer to hypocrisy. He's taking a hammer to anyone who's putting on a show. Anyone who's pretending to be something that they're really not. Listen to Jesus' definition, chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So his definition of, of hypocrisy is practicing your righteousness so that other people can see those things and give glory to you. Anytime you're practicing any kind of spiritual discipline, we'll look at three of them here this morning, that you're doing in such a way as you just hope somebody else notices. And not for God's glory, but they would think, wow, they're really a Christian. They've got it going on. And so Jesus is going to tackle that. And notice just the very first word, be, beware, the first word there, beware, pay attention. I don't know if Jesus was sitting on the hill. I don't know if he ever got, if he got tired of sitting, he stood up at some point. But I think if he was going to stand up and if he was going to use his body in some way, he would have done it right here. He, he's gotten through chapter five and maybe the audience is getting, is fading a little bit, even on Jesus. And so beware. I think he stands up and he throws up his arms. He's like, pay attention. I mean, in case you've fallen asleep somewhere, I'm turning a corner of my teaching and I need you to have, I need to have your full attention on this. I need you to beware that, that this hypocrisy easily comes into the life of a Christian. And it's so difficult to diagnose. The hypocrisy that he's talking about is so difficult to diagnose. And Jesus really helps us understand how he can diagnose it, how, how, how he really understands the human heart. One writer said, this hypocrisy is so difficult to diagnose because vainglory hides behind virtue. The reason the hypocrisy is hard to diagnose is because vainglory hides itself behind a virtue. Vainglory is, is you living for yourself, making sure people know who you are. It's, a, it's an excessive pride and it's ex, an excessive glory if you're a, a Pilgrim's Progress fan. Remember Christian, he's, he's walking towards the celestial kingdom and he's joined by all these other characters 
one of these characters, his name was Hypocrisy. And he was from the town of Vainglory. Isn't that interesting? So, so what happens is I, I have excessive pride, but I'm in the kingdom of heaven, and I know I'm not supposed to have excessive pride, so I have to hide my excessive pride behind a vainglory. Behind a virtue, I'm sorry. So I, I give, but I really want people to see my giving. I pray, but I really want people to be impressed with my prayer. I fast, but I really want to be people to be impressed with me and my fasting. But it's so hard to see because when you just see the things, you think, wow, they're really doing it. But it may be that behind all those actions really is, I need attention for myself. I need you to think well of me. So while Jesus is diagnosing this hypocrisy, he's taking a, a sledgehammer to this hypocrisy, he's, he's also attacking this false narrative. This is the phrase I've used a couple of times. A false narrative is a story that you have in your, your head that just gets repeated all the time. And it becomes a truth that you may not even see, but it's something you live your life by. And Jesus is attacking the false narrative in this text, which is, my value is determined by the assessment of others. This is a very common false narrative. I'm valued when you have a good assessment of me. And if you don't have a good assessment of me, then my value goes down. My value is based on your assessment of me. Or your value is based on somebody else's assessment of you. That's a false narrative. And Jesus is saying, beware, beware. Don't be deceived into thinking God applauds your life when really you're living for the applause of other people. See, we, we can fool ourselves. We're, we're, we're so easily fooled by our own selves that we can think, well, gosh, look at all these other people seeing my virtues. They're applauding me. I'm sure God's applauding me. But really, I'm just working for the applause of other people. So hypocrisy is such a significant concern. Jesus provides, maybe you could think of it as six different tests. Six different ways you could sort of try to examine your own heart. And they're here all the way through chapter 6 and into chapter 7. Giving to the needy, prayer, fasting, what you do with your money, anxiety, and judging. So that's the next six weeks. Aren't you, you, can't, you, you just can't wait, right? Whoa. But you see there, that he's, he's concerned that you have a Christian veneer. But behind it is vainglory. And he doesn't want that. He doesn't want that for him, and he doesn't, definitely doesn't want it for you. And so I want to look at three of these gauges this morning and just ask this question as we look at each one of these gauges, each one of these tests. Do, do you see any vainglory hiding behind any of these virtues in your life? So as you look at these three, do you see any, any self-excessive pride hiding behind any of these virtues? First virtue, giving to the needy. Verse 2, thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. 
Truly, I say to you, they've received the reward. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Please notice Jesus assumes not only just here in giving to the needy, but also in prayer and in fasting that you will be doing those things. He says, when you do these things, he's not saying if you do these things or, hey, you've been saved by grace, so it's no need to do these things anymore. He knows you're going to be doing these things. These these disciplines, these practices are helpful to you. But Jesus isn't questioning the practice. He's questioning the motive behind these practices. He's trying to get to the heart of why you would do this in terms of giving to the needy, prayer or fasting. And so Jesus illustrates this, uh, and I think it's Jesus' attempt at humor. This will be a question I'll have for him when, he, when I see him. Were you trying to be funny here? Was this funny in the crowd? Because I think he's, he's uh, illustrating the absurd with the absurd. And I think he's doing it and saying, hey, when, when the offering goes by, that basket goes by, don't blow a trumpet. And I'm just wondering if the people in the crowd are kind of like, blow a trumpet. I mean, imagine this offering we just took up just a few minutes ago. And, and, and you see the basket coming down, and you're scrambling through your purse to pull out your check and your trumpet. <laughs> do, 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 do. Hey, everyone, checks going in the basket. I mean, that'd be ridiculous. The, the whole word picture is ridiculous, but it's just as ridiculous to give to people who are needy Hoping people see and glorify you. See, I think he's illustrating this absurdly because it's so absurd to think that you giving to the needy is going to end up having its arc back to, hey, look at that, what that person has done. When, when, you, when you give, when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That's a strange little phrase, but I, but I think it's meant to say, don't even pat yourself on your own back. See, it's one thing that if I want somebody else to notice, but I could just all by myself, as I'm handing out something, go, oh, man, Paul, you're awesome. It's so easy for the human heart. Jesus has got a, he is dialed in on the human heart. And even if you don't do it for other people, you could be patting yourself on the back about how wonderful you are to be such a giving human being. And so don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And I don't think Jesus wanted to limit this just to giving money. Because you can give to the needy in a a lot of different ways. You can give your time. You can give your resources in some other way. And so I wonder how many have been on a, a short-term mission trip. How many help out in the tutoring program? And you, you do give. You scramble home and put it on social media. And you circle back to see how many likes you get. See, that, that can happen so easily. It hides itself behind the virtue. I am giving, but what I need all my friends to know 
is that I'm a giving person. So I've got to post it, and now my value is based, I can't believe it, on how many likes I'm getting. It's it's a temptation in my own heart. A couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago, I was in India. And in India, they're very careful about how you're around in crowds. And so the biggest crowds gathered for this particular pastor's conference at night. And so they said, Paul, you need to just go by yourself. Somebody will drive you to this event and you're going to drive up. And when you drive up, they'll just kind of wait and give you the signal. You'll get out of the car. They'll probably finish singing a song. You come up and speak. Okay, fine. So I, I, I drive up, I'm waiting. Somebody says, Paul, it's time for you to speak. So I get up there and speak. And I, man, I'm pouring my heart out for the Lord for all these 2,000 people maybe sitting out there. Just doing my best with this translator, trying to get a sense of, you know, I hope my passion for the Lord is coming across with their passion. But as soon as you're done, guess what? You walk off the stage, you get in a truck, and you drive home. You don't wait around. You don't talk to anybody. And so I go out the back of the tent. I get in the back seat of a truck with two guys I've never seen before. And they take me an hour in the dark back to my hotel. I hope back to my hotel. <laughs> so, so I preach my heart out. And these guys don't speak English. Or I would have fished for compliments. I t- I'm telling you, I would have. And I'm sitting in the backseat of this truck frustrated at myself. Thinking, I, I need somebody to say I did a great job. I need a life to be changed. I, I, you see how easy it is just to arc it back on yourself. And God said, Paul, for an hour, buddy, you're going to sit in the dark. You can't talk to anybody except for me. And that's got to be good enough. You see, that's what he's trying to say. When you're giving or when you're praying or or when you're fasting or whatever it is. See, that's why I said what I said in the beginning. It's about being with Jesus. It's not about getting your character right and saying, well, yeah, I got to work on that anger thing and I got to work on. You can lose Jesus in working on all those things. He's trying to work on those things to get you to himself. And so basically, I sat in the back of this truck with Jesus. And I was freshly reminded, hey, that's enough. That's enough. So first gauge, first test. How are you doing? Is there any vainglory hidden behind the virtue of of giving to other people? Secondly, prayer. And we'll look at the Lord's Prayer in detail uh, at another time. But he's coupling this with fasting and also giving. The hypocrisy that happens in prayer. Charles Spurgeon says this, Of all things in the world that stink in the nostrils of men, hypocrisy is the worst. And I would say it's hard to imagine anything smelling worse than hypocrisy in prayer. You're using your communication with the Lord Almighty, hoping people look at you. And 
In the Jewish culture, there were set hours that you would pray. You might think of Daniel three times a day went to pray. And what would happen is people would say, well, the time to pray is at noon. And I'll just happen to be walking down the street. And, oh, my gosh, I find myself at the busiest intersection, college and Oleander, at noon every day. Well, I've got to pray. So there I am praying on this busy intersection. Why? For myself. Hoping that everyone would see, hey, here's a real person of prayer. Here's a, a man or a woman of prayer. I'm using prayer for people, to, for people to look at me, to draw attention to myself. Or in prayer, one of the problems the Gentiles had, they heap up empty phrases thinking that they'd be heard for their many words. First Kings 18, you remember Elijah is on Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal are praying morning, noon, evening, no answer. They're just heaping up words thinking that there's a God out there who's going to hear them. And look at, look at chapter 6, verse 8. Do not be like them. You might underline that. That... John Stott calls this the key text in all of the whole Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is calling us, don't be like them. Don't be like the religious fakes. Don't be like the pagan fakes. Be a different kind of person. Don't be like them. So Jesus' solution here in prayer is to find a storage closet. And that day, that was the only closet that had a lock on it. It's a way of saying, I want, I want you to get locked in. I don't want any way somebody comes in and, and sees you praying so you can get glory for yourself. You're going to have this Puritan mindset that, that I'm serving the audience of one. That's where that phrase comes from. Do you ever pray, and at the end of your prayer, you hope somebody's impressed with you? Now, it doesn't mean you're never supposed to pray in public because that would eliminate prayer here. But it does mean we have to watch ourselves, whether it's around a dinner table or a Christmas table or a small group. And just really hope that people are moved by you and your prayer. It's why in the prayer Jesus offers our Father in heaven, what does it say? Hallowed be your name. See, I, every believer needs to come in and say, God, you know what? I could use this whole time talking about myself, focused on myself. And the first thing I want to do, I need to lift your name way up. Third gauge, third little test, fasting. Fasting is a, a spiritual discipline you exercise. It triggers physical hungers, obviously. But it's meant to help you see that uh, your real bread is the bread of heaven. So you get physically hungry and you say, yes, I'm physically hungry, but, but the, the, the real bread that I need in my life really is going to come from Jesus. So I have this discipline in my life of fasting that just physically reminds me of a spiritual truth. And again, I think Jesus is somehow using humor here. He's, okay, he says, don't look gloomy. Don't, 
don't disfigure your face. And I don't know what the picture he had of there, but, you know, the Pharisees would fast twice a week. And maybe on those days they just, oh, are you okay? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's nothing. Well, maybe it's my fasting. I mean, I've been fasting for three hours now. But, you know, it's just me and the Lord. It's nobody else, just the two of us. It's so easy, so easy. Most of you have seen this with somebody who's not a good sick person. You know that person? I don't look at another person here, okay? But some people, you don't know they're sick. One person gets one bad cell. It's over. It's like, oh, man. And you just know they're down. It's like this. It's like I'm doing something that's actually hard on me, and I want you to make sure, I want to make sure you know it's hard on me. So I look bigger. I look greater. I didn't know much about this. Somebody mentioned it actually in a, another sermon I was listening to on this text. And it says um, there's a whole sort of uh, Internet feeding frenzy on this. And, it, and some of you would know it. It's called humble brag. You know what that is? Humble brag. You just you go home today. Google it. You'll see it. Humble brag is this self-depreciating statement with the intention of drawing some attention to yourself. And they gave they had top 50 humble brags. I'll mention a few. These were real tweets. I'm honored and humbled to be included in the list of most remarkable women around the globe. I mean, come on. I am humbled and honored to be included in the list of most remarkable women around the globe. That's a great humble brag. Uh, now, I won't try to use any voice inflection, but here, I, I'm wearing a ponytail and sweatpants at the bar, and guys are hitting on me like, really? What's up with that? Oh, man. I better not say any comments about that at all. Uh, here's another one. It always feels a little odd to me when I get recognized in public. I never know what to say. I'm glad it doesn't happen that often. You know, these are funny, but they're spiritual humble brag, you know? It's, it's not just stuff on Twitter. It's stuff that you and I might say to each other. And usually, here's how you spot spiritual hum, hum, uh, humble brag. It has the word bless in it somewhere. Sometimes the word humble. So you post something on your Facebook that says, So blessed to be watching the sunset from my balcony in Hawaii. So you want to make sure everybody knows you have this super cool life, but you can't just promote it like that. Hey, I have a super cool life. So you, you, you attach bless somehow in that. Here was a, a, a real tweet from a pastor. Most of you would know his name. I'm truly humbled to follow that you follow my tweets. I pray they enrich your life and strengthen your ministry God bless all 200,000 of you. 
I mean, he got blessed and humble in the same tweet. That's a that's an awesome humble brag. So my question is, as funny as this is, is there some way you live your life for the applause of other people? And you can't do it overtly as a Christian, so you stuff it in behind a virtue. And you hope people are noticing. The solution, you notice in all three cases, is a secret practice. Verse 4, verse 6, verse 18. Your father who sees something in secret will reward you. The, the reward for the hypocrite is a few rounds of applause, but, you know, it's over. It goes by so fast, and then it generates a need for more applause. But for the Christian, Jesus talks about a different reward. Somebody who's not two-faced, somebody who's not an actor, Somebody, when you meet them, you might say they're pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart because they will see God. Do you see? That's the, that's the whole goal. The whole goal of not being a hypocrite is not just to say, well, at least I'm not a hypocrite. The whole goal is to see God. That's the whole goal of the whole Sermon on the Mount is that you would come and you would have greater relationship with God. And you would have this secret reward that can only come between you and God. A few of you probably had some experience that you thought, if I say the experience, somehow it gets cheaper. Ever had that feeling? I can't quite explain it, and the people that I explain it to don't have the reaction I wished, and it somehow gets it to be smaller. And so Jesus is saying, yeah, let's just keep these things just between you and me. And forever, just you and I can pull out the photo album of things that nobody knows. And instead of the the cheap Easily missed, few claps. You'll have your heavenly Father going, "Oh, well done, well done." Nobody has to know, and it doesn't matter because God knows. So we come this morning to communion, and so we're trying to say, "All eyes on Jesus, no eyes on me." And so you might take a moment just to hear God's analysis, diagnosis of your own heart in some form, some way that you've tucked behind vainglory, behind a virtue. And then as you come forward, those who are saying, I've trusted in Jesus, 
That this would be, this walk would just be, God, I, I've got to keep my eyes totally on you. Yeah, there, there are going to be things that come across my life, and I'm going to have to deal with them, but they're not going to be the main thing. The main thing, I'm just going to keep my eyes on Jesus. I'm just going to keep my eyes on Jesus. The most important thing is Jesus. If you don't have this relationship with Jesus, we'd ask you just to remain seated. And maybe ask yourself, what, what do you have your eyes on? What are you hoping is going to give you eternal life, eternal joy? Let's pray together. Lord, on the night you were betrayed, you took a cup and you took a loaf of bread and you told your disciples, this is my body, this is my blood given for you. And so I pray now as you deliver grace in some way through this simple meal, that you would strengthen every heart here to to be focused on you, to see themselves, to understand themselves, but to, to turn and then look at the Savior of their souls. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The ushers will come, and when they've come to your row, if you're prepared to come, then you come.
question in one of the commentaries, I think, was in the course of an hour when you're together as a church, how much time are you not thinking about yourself? I said, as a pastor, you might not want to know the answer to that question. <laughs> but it's, it's a tendency for me. It's a tendency for all of us. And Jesus says, you've got to get out of that way of thinking to get to life. And so no actors. Just sinners. Rescued by the Savior. Let's stand together and sing our closing song.